First, I put on my first pair of gloves. Next, I put on my mask, my N95 mask. Okay, next I put on my gown. Is my back covered? You are covered. Thank you. I have a buddy for the gown to make sure that my back is completely covered. Next, I put on my hair covering. Okay, and then I put my face shield on. And then last, I put my second pair of gloves on. And then I have somebody just double check me, three on top, three on bottom. Am I good? Thumbs up and I'm ready to go. Welcome to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. Today, we're going inside the hot zone of our emergency field hospital in Nassau, Bahamas. The Bahamas is facing a deadly second wave of the coronavirus, so much that their local healthcare capacity has been unable to keep up with the needs. We just didn't think we'd be here today where we had to get help from, you know, Samaritan's Purse, because we're really quite overwhelmed, and we just don't know when it's going to end. The Princess Margaret Hospital in Nassau is a 420-bed facility. As the COVID cases climbed, they designated more and more beds for positive patients. But now their beds are full, and each COVID ward had more than doubled its intended capacity. They had even converted their food court to the triage area, desperate for space. They'd done all they could, and the prime minister, who knew of Samaritan's Purse and their testimony from Hurricane Dorian when we came last year to set up an emergency field hospital after the hurricane, called Samaritan's Purse. And they asked if there was anything that we could do to help. The prime minister's office was so appreciative of our response on Grand Bahama Island after Dorian. And now a year later, at the capital city of Nassau, where the prime minister lives, uh, he actually woke up early in the morning one morning and had the idea to call Samaritan's Purse. And so we got a call from his office and they just, hey, we're just throwing this out there, but we really need help. And uh, is there anything Samaritan's Purse could do to help us? And uh, that was less than two weeks ago. And here we are setting up, about to open our doors tomorrow. On October 15th, Samaritan's Purse airlifted a 28-bed emergency field hospital to Nassau, along with doctors, nurses, and supplies. I spoke with Whitney Peterson, a registered nurse who is serving as the team lead on the ground, to hear her perspective. Whitney has a lot of experience treating infectious diseases, and she actually worked at our emergency field hospital in Italy earlier this year. For those that may be not aware, Samaritan's Purse, you know, responded last September after Hurricane Dorian. And so we went and set up an emergency field hospital um, in Freeport. And so now here we are on another island, but helping the, the Bahamas um, with another crisis. Can you talk to me about what it's like? I know they're, they must be so tired. You know, they, they had a hurricane devastation. They were looking forward to tourism and, and picking back up economically and now they're struck with COVID. So what, what, is, what is it like for the staff and what is it like for the locals? It's been really amazing to come in on this response and get to see the lasting footprint that Samaritan's Purse has had throughout the Bahamas and not just in Freeport. Um, I've heard multiple um, people here talk about, well, we need to go to Samaritan's Purse. I think it's really a great privilege for me to get to see that lasting impact from Samaritan's Purse. And I think even I'm thinking about one of the physicians who was talking to me, um, she's one of the lead physicians here at Princess Margaret Hospital. 
And she was saying, it just feels like we just keep getting hit with thing after thing after thing. I've been through a couple of hurricanes um, in, in, in my time at the Princess Margaret. Um, the thing with COVID-19, with a hurricane, you know it's coming, it comes, it destroys, it goes, you build back and you, you recover. But um, with COVID-19, so much is unknown, you know, and it's wearing us down. Well, this has been the hardest year in the history of the Bahamas. That's what we hear from the people, from the government. They are still recovering from Hurricane Dorian, and on top of that, now they've been battling the COVID outbreak. So can you explain, you know, we know that Nassau's Princess Margaret Hospital, you know, was just overwhelmed. So can you talk to us about what Samaritan's Purse has done to help with the surge capacity there? Yeah, it's really actually been an incredible partnership. So like you said, they were overwhelmed and asked for us to come and help out. And so we responded and um, did so quickly, like we're so used to doing. And in a matter of days, we were able to set up the field hospital in the parking lot of um Princess Margaret Hospital. So we were able to uh, expand their capacity by 28 beds and really develop um, an entire new ward and extension of Princess Margaret Hospital out here in the parking lot where um, we can use the systems and processes that they've already established within their hospital to really treat patients and give them that same level of care and that same quality of care and um, do it with um, the passion that we do at Samaritan's First. And as you're talking to that, I imagine, you know, because there are many that have been experienced with COVID-19 and treating patients, and then there are some that are new. What is that like to connect, you know, just work with such an eclectic group? How it, How is the cohesion and how is that, I guess, um, working and sharing your faith? I would say it's really seamless. Um, and there's challenges, of course, but I think one of the beautiful things you get to experience in the midst of um, crisis or disaster or outbreak, especially with a new illness, is this sense of humility that that we all come in with. And especially with COVID-19, you know, being a new and emerging illness, that we're all still learning about, um, you know, many of us do have experiences in different places throughout the world treating it. But the reality is that we still don't know so much about it and approaching it from a place of humility. And obviously that's something um, that is so core to our faith in general, right, um, is just keeping that mentality, I think, of being here to help serve and to share your knowledge and to share your experience. And everybody seems to be so receptive of that um, on both ends because we have stuff to learn from them as well. And um, they have figured out things of processes that work in this environment where they're at that we get to learn from them. And we can take that to, to the next deployment and to the next time we respond, you know, and They've solved problems that maybe we haven't faced yet. And so it's really a, a given and take, and we're both learning on both sides. And so I think it's been really a privilege for everybody involved. And the relationships here are just phenomenal, honestly, like within our team at Samaritan's Purse and then within the hospital. And I, it's re it really is a unique, um, a unique deployment in that way. Um, we have people from all ages, all different specialties, um, all different abilities. Um, when we get on the ground uh, in any disaster, what happens is everyone is on the build team. 
everyone helps put the hospital up, um, which is can be uh, a lot of really hard work for a <laughs> sometimes two or three days if you're setting up a true hospital. People are very, very willing to do anything that they are asked to do. And so one of the things that I like about the build part, the beginning of setting up the whole hospital, is that what happens is everybody bonds together. To be there in the first wave, seeing everything come up is extraordinary. Just the teamwork, I think, has struck me. But these okay. crates, we may have to say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, to stack them in there, wrap them. They're like little, little tents that are It's just the body of Christ in action. Um, I love to hear that, and I and know because there must be challenges. Um, so, as you share how it's been seamless and it's been encouraging, um, how can we be praying for your staff and for for the Bohemians? Continuing to pray that the Lord just protects them from the continued transmission of this illness. Um, it's a frightening one, you know, um, praying for peace for the people that have it. It's an isolating illness. Um, we've experienced that globally. And I think that knowledge that the Lord is with us, um, even in our most isolating moments. And so that's a big part of why we want to be here for the Bohemian people is to let them know that the Lord has sent us um, to walk alongside you in this time and to let them know that they're not alone in it and um, that the Lord is with them and we get to be his vessels in one component of that, that the Lord is present and that he is the healer. Do you want me to read it to you? Yes, please. So Psalm 90, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Yes. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to death and say, Return, all children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Just like Whitney said, God is the healer, Jehovah Rapha. We saw this in the Bahamas. And you just heard from one of our podcast correspondents, Caitlin, who is reading scripture with a patient. She was on the ground in the Bahamas with our team, and I had the chance to sit down with her right after she returned. So talk to me about um, the challenges of recording and and doing your work um, with the the PPE and all that's expected of you to be able to go into the hospital. Yeah, so even on the communications team, we're still required, of course, going into the hot zone to put on all of the personal protective equipment that the doctors and nurses would use. So it takes some time to suit up, um, putting on multiple pairs of gloves and a gown and a face shield and a different mask to be able to go in and safely care for patients and talk to them. So just as we're suiting up like the doctors and nurses as a communications team member, we have an extra step of figuring out how do we take our equipment from the cold zone, which is the low risk zone into the hot zone, uh, where we're treating COVID patients. So we're basically, it's not a its not a very high-tech setup, but we're wrapping them in plastic bags. We're taping them up, um, making sure that we have that equipment in there in a way that when we come out and we doff, we can dunk it in a chlorine solution that kills any germs that would be on it. So you'll hear it in some of the audio as you go inside the hot zone with us. But 
uh, there's a lot of challenges with that. Normally, when we're recording podcast audio, we would have headphones plugged in. We would be really in tune with what we're recording, the natural sounds in the background so that we make sure the interviews sound the absolute best that they can. In a hot zone, you go in a little bit blind. So you put that recorder in the bag and you don't really know what you're getting until you get out at the end of the day. Then you download the files and you find out, oh, that didn't, that one didn't come out at all. Or, okay, I think this one is usable. So you'll hear a little bit of that as you get to meet some of the patients. But uh, through it all, even through the PPE and through the extra precautions that are taken, um, it's such a beautiful time to get to go in and get to meet the patients firsthand um, and really just see the Lord at work, both in the lives of our patients, but also through the staff members who are treating them. So I know you got close with one patient in particular. Can you talk to me about what stood out to you about Krista? Yeah, so Krista uh, was a patient who was really special to me from day one. And Krista was in her early 50s. Uh, She works for the Department of Environmental Health as a vector control officer. So she had a big job. Um, She used to travel for it. So she was in good health. And Mm -hmm. it was really easy to kind of meet her in the COVID treatment center and to think, you know, maybe that she was always in poor health or that she could, she always had trouble getting around and walking. But as I got to know her over the few days, I had to keep reminding myself of who Krista was, that she was um, someone who had a, had a big job, someone who was healthy. And she would say, this is not me. Like, this Mm. is not, I used to have the strength to do that. So I got to kind of see firsthand really, um, the devastating impact that COVID can have on someone who um, is sick with the virus, that mm-hmm. it was really mm-hmm. just devastating to her body and to her health. And I, I know she was a believer, right? Can you talk to me about her faith and, and how she actually impacted you? Yeah, she was a really strong believer. And actually the first day I said, I was like, tell me about Krista, you know, who's Krista? And she immediately just started telling me about the Lord. And she was like, I'm nothing without Jesus. And she just started talking about how faithful God was. And even from a hospital bed, that was the first thing that was on the tip of her tongue was God is so faithful. And she said that she was not afraid when she was diagnosed with the coronavirus because, you know, God was her rock. God is my rock. So it's not so afraid, you know? She trusted that he was still in control, even though the circumstances were, of course, not what she would want. Another time when I was sitting with her and talking to her, I just asked her, I was like, Krista, you know, do you ever do you ever get bored in here? I mean, you're inside a field hospital that's made up of tents, and they have with them maybe their cell phone if they brought that in, but they really have nothing. There aren't TVs on the wall like you would think of in a hospital. Mm. So I asked her if she ever got bored, and she said, how could I get bored? I'm thinking, well, (laughs) I think I might be bored if I were in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And she said, how can I be bored when God's presence is in the room? Because there's always something new to learn about Jesus. Mm. So she really just clung to her faith. And that was such a genuine thing for her to say. And it was really convicting for me to hear because I'm thinking um, so materially. And so how if I were in her shoes— think I would be bored laying there, but just shifting that perspective of, yeah, when God is in the room, mm-hmm. how can we be bored? Mm. 
That is so convicting. And yeah, we we forget that when they go to the hospital, they can't have visitors. And that encourages me, you know, to hide God's word in your heart so that when you are somewhere where you don't have it, you can still learn something about him and grow. Um, so she just made a big impression on you spiritually. And like you said, um, encouraged and challenged you, but you also got to watch her progression. So each day she made improvements physically. Can you talk to me about that and just the stages she made? Yeah, the first day that I went into the hot zone, I met Krista and I sat by her bed and I was asking her questions and just trying to get to know her a little bit. And she could barely get out the answers. So mm-hmm. she would kind of hold up her hand and just signaling you know, that she needed a second to catch her breath before trying to answer the question. And then she would give kind of short one-word answers, not because she didn't want to talk and not because she didn't have something to share and something to say, but because she just didn't have the breath to get it out. So it was a very um, long and laborious conversation that she wanted to have, that I wanted to have, but that she just didn't really have the strength for. I just wanted to get better. just wanted to fight. I went in the second day not knowing really what to expect, but I stopped by her bedside again and check in on Krista. And she was like, I'm doing, you know, I'm feeling a little bit stronger today. And the amazing thing was, is that I could hear that strength in her voice. And instead of just a couple word answers, she started being able to talk a little bit more. And she started asking me questions about where, you know, where are you from and why are you here? And that relationship just kind of continued to develop. Um, And then I'll never forget the time when one of the nurses, Kiana, was like, okay, it's time for Krista to go on a walk. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, she is in her 50s. You know, she was so healthy and strong, but going on a walk was a huge task and a huge hurdle Mm -hmm. to try to get over. So the nurse, you know, helps her helps her sit up in the bed, helps her stand up. And as she's walking, she's just praising Jesus the whole time. And she's slowly, slowly taking step by step, Mm. just saying, thank you, Lord. I'm gonna do this with God's strength. And uh, the nurse, Kiana, is encouraging her in the same thing of each step is hard, but you're gonna do it. God is gonna give you the strength to do it. And I feel like that thing you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. But remember, every step is a step yes. towards healing, right? Yes. And you are so strong. And you pray through that entire time. Yes. And God leads every single step. So together, they probably walked maybe past three of the other hospital beds in the ward and then turned around. She went back and she was just exhausted by the time that she got back and got to lay down. And that was kind of, you know, it for a few hours of she needed her rest just after, you know, a couple a couple of feet that she walked. So the typical patient on the ward um, probably is on oxygen, um, anywhere from, you know, two liters to five liters. Um, and they're often quite short of breath. So it often feels like the smallest movement, sitting up in bed even, um, taking one step, uh, let alone 20, is really exhausting. Um, they often can't speak through it. So, so our one patient who's praying the entire time is extraordinary because she is praying through breath and praying for strength. So it's incredible. Um, and then the next day I came in 
And so one of the things that they'll do is they try, they'll set goals for their patients of how many times they need to walk a day um, because they're trying to help them in that healing process and help them, you know, make a full recovery. So the next day I go in and spending some time in the ward and I walk by Krista's bed and she looks at me and she says, I think I'm going to go for a walk. And I'm like, okay, let me go get Kiana for you. Let me go get a nurse so that she can help you. And she's like, nope, I think today, I think today I can get up on my own. Whoa, you're up. You going for a walk? Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah, Krista. Mm-hmm. So even just her being able to stand up out of the hospital bed by herself was a huge improvement. Mm-hmm. And she did the longest walk that she had done yet. So instead of just walking by a few beds, she was like, I think I'd like to see outside. Mm-hmm. So she walked to the end of the tent. We got to unzip it for her and let her go outside and see the sunshine for the first time in a long time. Um, And she came back from that walk, still tired, still exhausted from it, but stronger than she had been. You're still coughing and breathing? Yeah, I'm still coughing. I still have the pains, but no worry. Okay. You guys helped me good. Yeah, no, we're we're pleased with your progress. Yeah, but like I said yesterday, can't nobody do that but you. Yes, yes. So each day that I got to meet her, you know, we went from barely saying one word to then walking outside, you know, looking outside the tent, seeing the sunshine for the first time, and really just seeing her improve day by day by day. And she gave all the glory to the Lord and all the credit to the Lord of he is my strength, and He is the one who is healing me. Wow, what a what a testimony! And I, you know, obviously the Lord is who sustains our doctors and nurses and our medical team to to do these long hours. But I'm sure watching improvements like Krista take place, you know, and watching the Lord heal, you know, Jehovah Rapha, you know, must sustain them and allow them to be able to continue to work because. Mm-hmm. These days are long, right? I mean, they are, and like you said, in full protective gear, and I'm sure it's it's draining. So this allows them to continue on. Yeah, exactly. And like we mentioned, Krista is such a strong believer, and just mm-hmm. as we encouraged her, and you know, in her walk, mm-hmm. she was encouraging not just me, but also the doctors mm-hmm. and nurses who cared for her. And they would say, you know, I was sitting with her and you know, she had me in tears as she was saying things just of how thankful she was for the team who was treating her and how she was praying for them. So it was such a reciprocal relationship Mm -hmm. and just so much encouragement that, yes, our team is there to love on the patients, but the patients also have a big impact Mm -hmm. on our doctors and nurses. I asked her what she felt she needed prayer for. And in my head, I think I had this preconceived notion that it would be something physical like pray for healing or pray for, you know, physical strength or whatever. And her prayer was um, she wants to be just a beacon of hope and light for the rest of her life, wherever she is. So she was like, I just want to represent Christ and um, just spread his hope basically in whatever capacity. And so here she is on our ward and she's obviously done that with both of us. She has increased our faith by watching her. 
Well, I'm sure, and I know one medical team member, you know, they said, especially back home in, in the States, you know, they just see a patient and they come and go. And some of the, the work that they do, they don't get a long-term um, relationship. And so this is something where her family can't be with her. So Samaritan's Purse essentially becomes her family and her, her network and her support unit. And so, you, like you said, it goes back and forth. And I mean, this is just one testimony, but I'm, I know there were many more like this. And so we wanted to spotlight this one story of healing. Um, so can you explain to me what impressed you the most about the team at the emergency field hospital? Yeah, the team is just incredible to work with. And all of them have such servants' hearts and they just come in ready to do anything that needs to be done, whether that's a part of their skill set or a part of what they expected to be doing or not. They come in and say, what can I do? And all of the doctors and nurses are just absolutely incredible because they go into the hot zone and they're putting on full PPE. So it can be hard uh, to do your job. It can be hard to hear what your patients are saying, but they put that on and just say, this is what it takes. And one of them said, you know, we trust the PPE, but we trust the Lord. So we go in without fear, ready to hold the patient's hands, to sit with them and to just love on them as you're providing that critical care in a time of need. So it's always humbling to serve alongside the medical team and to see them not just expertly provide that care, but also do it in a way that really just shows God's love in every touch. I just loved being able to help people that were in crises. I'm a critical care nurse, and that's what I do. And to be able to do that in the field and be somebody there in the name of Jesus when they are at their worst and need light and hope in their life the most, to be able to provide that in Jesus' name is the desire that's been on my heart all my life. Italy was my first experience with COVID. And it, to me, was the most evil thing I ever could uh, experience. To see what it was doing to people ravaging their lungs, it, I think that, that people have a misconception that, you know, some people can have it and it's mild. Some people can have it and it's, it's, it's pretty bad, but it doesn't affect the lungs. But the people that have it that affect their lungs, once it gets into your lungs, it does something that is an inflammation process that sometimes it cannot be controlled. You don't know how your lungs are going to respond to it. And that's what I saw. I saw the people that it had entered their lungs and it started wreaking havoc in their lungs. And that's what we were treating. Um, when people are in crisis, and I, learned, I have learned this in my ER career, they are very open. They're looking, they're seeking, they need help and they want help. So um, it's a very opportune time to be able to help them understand that God loves them, who Jesus is, and that we are here to help them understand that Jesus loves them. The most rewarding uh, part of this response is when patients walk out that door. Uh, when we have patients that come here who are sick and they uh, are really down with the illness, that we love on them, we show them the love of Jesus Christ. I believe the spiritual part of this whole medical endeavor is actually the most important part. And praying for divine appointments kind of with people that I that we can talk about our faith and share who Jesus is. I mean that truly is 
my greatest desire is to be able to have those conversations. But I think you have to gain their trust as you take care of them physically. And that's that bridge to being able to talk to them about spiritual things. Please continue praying for our team in the Bahamas. Pray that God will open doors for the doctors and nurses to share why they are there, to provide physical care, but more importantly, to share God's love in this time of need. I know I was truly impacted by Krista's testimony and the fact that when asked if she was bored, she said, of course not. There's always something God can teach me. And I just hope that in, like Krista, in times of great need and physical um, dependence, that I will cling to Jesus. She reminds me of Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into His grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. Thanks again for going into the hot zone with us today. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at OnTheGroundSP for more behind the scenes content. And if you enjoyed hearing these firsthand descriptions of the COVID treatment center, you can go back and listen to other episodes, Hope in Cremona, Italy, and Central Park Emergency Field Hospital. These episodes, we were introducing you to our team serving in Italy and New York City earlier this year. Thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate your prayers and we appreciate your support. Thank you and God bless. Thank you.